Welcome to the WeGo Places podcast. I'm your host, Brian Turnbow, English teacher at WeGo since 2001. In the WeGo Places podcast, I visit with WeGo grads in unique careers. Today, we catch up with Bill Winter, class of 2004. We find out how a little bit of punk music, a degree in psychology, and the musings at a construction site ultimately created the path where Bill became an international artist in Berlin, Germany. Joining us today is Bill Winter, class of 2004. Bill, what do you do? That is a great question. Uh, I make things, and I write things, and I act things out. You would say I'm an international artist, um, but again, I don't. for me, terms are too limiting at times, so I wouldn't just say I'm an artist. I do a lot of things, but yes. So... Tell me, what is the type of, you know, you put the adjective international mm. artist. So before we, we talk about how you came to be uh, in Berlin and any other stops along the way, I was wondering how you could maybe talk about your journey to be a, a creator and an mm. artist. I think, I mean, for me and my family growing up, it was always a part of the family to be creative in some way. My mother had been a painter and my dad a jazz drummer. Um, they were kind of these poor hippie Christians trying to find their way, you know? So the home was very, I guess, just a place where you could try things out. I mean, to an extent, obviously the religious part put a damper on a lot of things, <laughs> which was difficult. But at the same time, there was an environment where if you wanted to be creative, there were ways to do it and you could, you could explore it. Um, but it really started for me with music. I think in the late nineties, early two thousands with the punk and noise rock scenes in the Midwest, there was just a lot of really great music being made and shows to go to. And we got into, me and my friends were musicians and playing music and going around town and going into the city. And that's when it became, uh, I guess, part of my identity to be a creative person or to realize that I had it in me and that I enjoyed doing it. I'm sorry, music was the original kind of muse. Yeah. How did you then uh, begin the... Uh, process of, you know, being musical and then maybe uh, experimenting with different mediums? Yeah, I mean, it really came down to the kind of construction jobs I had to have. When I was in high school and going into college, I was doing all kinds of things and forklifts and stacking wood. And I fell in love with just stacking beautiful lumber, you know, like the smell of it, the, the texture, all of it. And I realized that I had this love for materials and for building things that I never knew was there before. And when I went to university, I was studying psychology. And so it ended up kind of combining organically. So I, I'd say even now my work is basically uh, concept-based work. So there's definitely a connection between the psychology that I studied, studied and the materials as well. Um, and it really changed in my early 20s. That's when it all kind of came together because I realized I like music, of course, and I like all these different things. But my passion for materials and for building things in a concept-based way was really exciting for me. Now, can you maybe elaborate more on what you mean by the concept based uh, with your art? Is there, what did it begin as and uh, what, where, what has it evolved into uh, right I think now? When I first started doing it, it was mostly painting because that's what I knew from my mother. And, but eventually it was that there was a power in an idea and that you could take an idea and make a kind of a clever statement visually so without actually saying something but you could build something that could convey that idea and that there was something really potent in that and that actually there could be multiple layers in objects and multiple feelings that could be drawn out that you wouldn't otherwise be able to get from just 
say, telling what you're thinking or um, trying to convey a certain concept to someone. So for me, it was really exciting because here was a way to speak, but visually, um, and it was natural to me. There, I didn't have to, I guess I didn't have to think so much about it. It just kind of came out of me, which was really exciting. But it took a long time. <laughs> it wasn't right away. How would you describe your process of of, of the muse and uh, and finding inspiration? Uh, and what is a typical workday f- uh, for you, uh, as a, if we would call it work? As yeah. you create? Um, first of all, with the inspiration. So a good example is this porcelain project I did in 2017. It was kind of ongoing, but I had this joke with my partner. And she said, you know, you're a sleep diva. And I said, no, I'm an OC diva. And then I thought, that's kind of funny. I like that term. And I wonder what I could do with that visually or if I could kind of play with that. So I thought for a long time, and eventually I came to, I wanted to go around the city. Berlin is always changing. It's, it has a reputation for kind of always being gentrified, but then somehow always escaping that gentrification. And there are just toilets and trash from remodeling on the streets constantly. So I found these toilets everywhere I went and thought, I'm going to take them clean them, smash them into dust, and then re-pour them as plates and, and porcelain kitchenware, and we're going to have a meal. And, you know, it'll be kind of a mixture of a performance piece and also sculpture. So I did this with this curator, and that kind of was the beginning of, of a whole slew of projects that are that way. Um, but day-to-day is really hard to say because most days I get to the studio, and it's really just playing. I, it's, a, it's kind of a hilarious profession in a way because you're just you're, you're taking objects you're finding how they work together maybe you're walking into dollar shops and looking at objects and thinking how they might work you know or what could you make or what could you do to it and you just spend some six seven hours just putting things together and seeing if it works or not and taking it back apart and writing something down sometimes they're written i'd say it's really like being a being a kid adult you get to go and play and and try things you, so you're in Berlin. So let's maybe back up a little bit. And how how did you how, how does one make? So you said in college you were uh, you studied psychology yeah. and you also did some construction mm. jobs. Then uh, walk me to the path of how you then arrive at Berlin. Well, it was two things. I mean, I had had an interest in Europe as a kid because my family is German Austrian. They'd come over in the 1920s and 30s. So there was some pretty fresh roots still there. And so I wanted to go visit it. So I'd gone and and seen it and I liked it, but it wasn't a place I thought it would move necessarily. But when I left undergrad and I wanted to go to the Art Institute, I applied and applied and applied. I applied four times before I got in. And when I finally got in, I was there for uh, 2010. And then I couldn't afford to keep going. It's so expensive. And I was just devastated because I tried so hard to get in. And I said to the head of the department, what do I do? You know, I want to be an artist, but I can't afford it. And she said, well, you have two options. You can either save up a bunch of money and come back and try again, or you can move to New York or Berlin and break into the art scenes there and go that way. She was like, to be honest with you, either way will work. You just have to make it work. So I was like, well, I don't want to go to New York because it's a little too similar to Chicago. And I was already living in the city at that point after school. So I thought, okay, well, I'll go to Berlin. So I decided in one year's time, I was going to find a way to get there. And I got a job that would uh, let me work over there for at least a short time to pay my way. And it all worked out. It was crazy. It was the most insane thing I've ever done. And also probably the most exciting. I mean, I showed up here 
with the suitcase. I'd sold everything I knew or owned and said goodbye to all my loved ones. It was really insane. <laughs> but the best thing I've ever done. It was great. I was going to say, I mean, but yeah, completely exhilarating that you made that, uh, that leap. Oh, yeah. With that. Now, well, I mean, yeah, you, I mean, you, and, and, and so oh, I, go ahead. Now, now, I have, now I have another follow-up <laughs> question, which is, um, you know, you use the expression that you had, that I, I, I believe you said uh, it was your advisor who said you, you have to find a way to make it work. Yeah. So, um, so, so now your boots on the ground mm -hmm. in Berlin with this. So how did you make it work? The, well, two things that were most probably equally important. The first thing was that I let myself do nothing but play. I didn't go, well, I didn't come here with a, uh, an idea that I had to be a certain kind of artist. I wanted to find out what I would really make if I could make anything, if I could do anything with my time, really. And so most of it was just staying up all night in my living room, just making paintings and making sculptures and trying things out and trying things out. And then during the day, going out and meeting anyone that I could meet who was in the art scene and seeing what they were doing, spending all my time looking at work that other people had made and networking. I mean, you, you cannot put a price on networking when you know the people who hold the keys to get you in. This is like the only way to get in. You have to be making work, of course, but those two things together. I mean, that's how it worked for me. I think that's, that was a really interesting point about networking and getting to know people and knowing that if they don't know what door to knock on, they can certainly direct you to someone who would know how to uh, knock on yeah. that door and, and get it open. Yeah. Um, so if I, so now I want to kind of round back to the idea of you uh, as the artist and like, so you said like, you know, playing and, and, in, in the art, artistic sense, I was wondering how would you describe the, the eye of an artist as you approach a project or create something that was not there before, mm. create a type of blueprint or at least, you know, that whole uh, process? How would you describe your artist eye if that's the sensory uh, sure. metaphor that you prefer if there's a, another one? No, that's good. I For me, um, I immediately think of another artist, Erwin Vorm, who's a, I think he's a, actually Austrian but big in Europe and, and around the world now. But his work is mostly absurdist stuff, and he would take a lot of photos of people like sitting underneath their dinner table, or he would take his mattress and shove it in his kitchen between the cabinets, you know, just so that he could kind of break down his daily way of seeing the work. Because when you're used to seeing everything a certain way, you start to get blind to most of it. So for me, it was doing things like that, finding a weird place. I mean, it's super weird, but finding a weird way to a new place to sit in the apartment or a new way to look at something. Um, and when I first started in Berlin, I was just taking what I had, I had no money. So I was just taking, you know, these magazines that the person who owned the apartment I was at had and cutting them up and putting oil on them so that you could see both sides of the page at the same time and wondering what that meant, you know, to see both sides of an advertisement at the same time, something like that. So it's really, for me, it was, how do you set up your environment in a way that you can see outside of the box and, um, you know, risk finding new things? A lot of times you don't, but that's part of it. You you have to be willing to kind of waste time. And I was wondering, like, in, in terms of, like, experimenting and honing uh, your craft uh, and all of that, how do you how do you kind of look at other artists when you evaluate uh, their work or who do you, who do you look for to, to kind of 
observe technique and how do you see and evaluate them? Um, well, I guess it depends. So there are a few sculptors who are about 10 years older than me and I feel like their work is very similar to what I do. And so I look to them a little bit as like, you know, role models or at least what my path forward could be. That would be Alicia Kawade um, and uh, who's the other one I really like? Oh, Michael Selestorfer. They're both Germans, but their their work is really, really, really good. And so when I need inspiration, I usually look for their work. There's also Jose Davila. Um, his work is fantastic. But those are more specific to work that looks like something I would do is more, more, I guess, particular to how I would also think or make work. But when I look at other artists' work who don't make work like my own, I usually try to see it through the lens of what they're trying to accomplish or the world that they're in. Because I studied painting, I know a lot about painting, so I'm usually probably more harsh on, on painters. Um, but there should be some seductive quality to it. If there's nothing seducing me into wanting to experience it, it could be bad or good, but it has to be something. Otherwise, I just don't feel like it's really worth the time. And actually, there was another artist, uh, Monica Bear, who said that just because it's a, she makes a painting doesn't mean it's automatically art. And I thought, well, that's perfect. That's exactly it. You don't, it's not like you have a magic wand and you can just say what it is. The viewers have to participate. There has to be a dialogue that kind of decides altogether that it does or does not have value. And you, you go from there. Yeah, I always, you know, remember this uh, expression. Sometimes I use it with my students when we discuss art or literature. Uh, I believe it was Roland Barthes who said, "The birth of the reader is the death uh, of the writer." You know, and I always think about how that is the uh, that kind of sense of control as the as the artist or the creator is that you have an intentionality uh, of it, and but then once it gets into the um, observance of, of the audience, uh, how, how do you, uh, reconcile how they interpret it? And if, and if they take it a wrong way, or if it does land the way that you want right, that. So right. I always think that's, uh, yeah. Um, so, so you've been in, you've been in Berlin for, you said six, yeah, years. six years and, um, and so do you, now do you see yourself remaining in Germany or maybe moving around to Europe uh, or, or what's, what's the, uh, how would you maybe forecast uh, where you would like to be uh, in the future? That's actually changed really recently because my partner and I were talking about potentially moving to New York for just part of the year. I mean, it's so expensive. It would be tricky, but just because of the art opportunities there, they're still pretty, pretty great. Um, but I think I'll probably always have a place in Berlin as like my main, my main stay. It's a, it's an incredible city. The history is ridiculous. My, I wish I could show you where I'm sitting. My apartment is in the very center of what used to be Stalin Alley. So it was what Stalin built to show off his communist powers when the wall was, well, a few years before the wall went up, but when things were split and the history is just, you know, you can scratch the surface and get crazy history everywhere you go. And it's such a unique place to be, a first world country that lost the world war. So it had this devastation that a lot of the third world goes through, but then it had all this money pumped in because it was first world. And so you have this crazy weird adult playground where you can just kind of run around and try things out and do things that you would never otherwise get to do. So I don't think I'll, I don't think I'll leave for good probably ever, but I wouldn't be surprised if I live part of the year, other places, the world is big. <laughs> 
<laughs> for sure. You know, what kind of advice would you have for uh, current Wildcats uh, in terms of, you know, how you found a sense of success in what you do uh, and, 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 and that type of confidence that you have at uh, really pursuing such a unique career? I would say, well, many things, but the, the biggest things are probably persistence. If you keep trying, eventually it's going to work. Um, a lot of people tell you not to do what you want to do because maybe they didn't do what they wanted to do or because they just don't understand where you're coming from. So I would definitely say just keep trying it. If you're sure that it's what you like and it turns you on, you should do it. Um, yeah, I mean, otherwise I would say obviously networking is key. Um, being willing to play, keep whatever it is that you're doing. It doesn't have to be art. I mean, it could be anything. Um, but be willing and open to whatever that field is going to give you and where it would take you. And don't stop. Don't quit. I love that. Bill, thank you so much for this. I'll make sure that I link pictures of your uh, Instagram to, to all your okay. arts. And uh, maybe I'll ask you for that picture of your uh, your cool apartment <laughs> and, uh, and uh, what it looks out into. Cool. So thank you so hey, much, thanks Bill. Thanks a lot. Links to Bill's work will be included in the show notes, his Instagram, and website. Today's music was brought to us by class of 2020's Max Russo. If you want to catch past episodes of We Go Places podcast, look us up on iTunes at WeGoVox. Thanks for listening.